0: Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. We'll turn our Bibles to 2 Corinthians again. Last week I mentioned that some of our studies will be more thematic, and that Paul touches on some things through the epistle. And so last week we looked at God's work and suffering in our life, uh, the experiences we have and what God does and uses uh, to equip us and move us. So we saw that uh, through uh, through suffering, through things we go through, we might experience the comfort of God and that equips us to give comfort to others. And so it's like, like a practical lesson in school uh, where you're not just learning theory, you're going through something, you experience the Lord's comfort and then you can comfort others. And so It uh, enables us in that way. We saw also it encourages prayer. He talked, Paul talked about the prayers of uh, God's people. And we've prayed for people uh, this evening going through difficult times. And that's part of God's will for us individually and collectively as well. And then we saw too that God can allow those things in our life to help us to focus on what really matters, that it's the inner man uh, being changed from one degree of glory to another and our focus on on, uh, heaven and the fact that eternity is coming. But then also we look at uh, Paul's experience in chapter 12 and he experienced in a very real way the grace of God and uh, expressed the fact that in his weakness he could bring glory to God because if he accomplished anything it wasn't through him but it was by God's grace and for God's glory. And so Uh, wonderful thoughts or lessons for us. Uh, We compared that to, you know, the the health and wealth gospel, the prosperity gospel, where uh, so many teach that everything should be perfect in our our lives. If you have enough faith, if you have positive thinking, uh, if you demand things from God, if you tell God what should happen, then their view is that your life will be uh, perfect. But Scripture says something else, and God uh, intends... to mold us and make us, and he uses the circumstances of life often, and they're not always perfect. So tonight, uh, I trust it doesn't bother anybody, but we're going to talk about conscience. Well, maybe maybe it should. Uh, but Paul goes on in chapter uh, 1, verse 12, to mention the word conscience. And just before we read it, just say a few things about Conscience. It's a word that Paul uses 23 times in his writings, So it's a a prominent word. It's used a number of times through Scripture, perhaps over 50 times. And there are other sort of connotations or references uh, to conscience in the sense that the word's not used, but the concept or the ideas is there, the thought of being convicted or or being pricked in our our mind, our conscience, that type of, of thing. So it's a very valid and, and real thing uh, through Scripture uh, with quite a bit of emphasis. There's not sort of one passage where it's developed, but it's uh, mentioned so many times. And uh, Paul, in this uh, epistle, talks about it several times. Uh, he mentioned in the first epistle, he mentioned in the book of Acts and his trial, mentioned in the book of Romans uh, and his, his concern for the Jewish people. And so conscience is a Thing that we perhaps don't think about uh, very often. But it's part of our physical makeup. Uh, Humanity, as humans, we have conscience. Now, uh, you know, the the alligator in your local pond doesn't have a conscience. If it takes your dog and has it for supper, there's no sorrow or or thought, well, those poor people, look what they lost. Uh, His only thought is, look what I've gained. Uh, There's no sense of conscience. Now, I suppose uh, if you have a pet dog, they, they express some remorse, but it's usually only if they get caught. It's not uh, conscience because they've done it. It's because you've caught them uh, doing things. Uh, if you have a pet cat, on the other hand, it wonders what you're upset about. But, uh, but uh, you know, animals don't have a conscience. They don't have uh, that concept, but we, but we have it. Uh, it's interesting, at least Strobel in his book on the case for creation, In one of the interviews that he does, uh, that's his sort of style, he goes and interviews various uh, experts in in various uh, fields. And uh, one of the men he talked to said that, you know, evolution has no explanation for conscience and for information. Uh, Why do we have a conscience and where did information come from? Uh, How did that evolve or develop? And so, of course, they have theories about, you know, progression of, of life and all those things, but no answer to why uh, we would have a conscience of what's right and wrong. Now, the, the word that Paul uses here in verse 12 uh, for our boasting is this the testimony of our conscience. The Greek word means to know with. And so it has the thought or the idea of, of uh, a knowledge of, you know, this and, and you know what. Is right or what should be to know with. By way of illustration, it's been described as a you know a window that lets in light, and of course when we think of a conscience that's not working, it's like a window that's got dirty and the light can't uh, come come through. But that's what conscience uh, is. Or somebody has said you know it's like a, a watchdog that warns when something uh, is coming, when danger is coming, or a witness uh, that can convicts. Uh, somebody has said this, uh, conscience is the still small voice that quells a wicked thought, then adds this sequence. Besides, you might get caught. Uh, and so that's what our, our conscience is. It's part of our, our uh, makeup. And of course, if, if you've studied or read scripture, you understand there's various aspects to uh, what Paul teaches about our, our conscience. Uh, we can have what we might define as an active or good or healthy conscience. Uh, it's possible to have a seared conscience, a conscience that doesn't respond, doesn't react. It's possible to have a weak conscience, a conscience that's that's overactive. Uh, and we'll talk about that uh, a bit later. But uh, here he's he's talking about his conscience in light of the fact the background is or the context is that Paul had planned to visit Corinth. Now, he'd made a previous visit, uh, and he was going to visit again, and he delayed that visit. Uh, he was concerned about the uh, atmosphere, uh, the attitudes of the believers in the assembly there. And when we get to chapters 8 and 9, he was concerned about whether they were going going to follow through on their promise to support the starving believers over in Judea if they were going to actually come through. And that's that's where he's heading. And so uh, part of what he's doing is defending uh, the fact that he didn't come to see them and he gives reasons why he didn't do that. And so they might accuse him, well, Paul, uh, you've lied to us. You said you were coming again, but uh, you haven't come. What's your explanation? And so Paul is giving an explanation of why he didn't come. You know, two years ago, uh, when we were here, we probably said, we'll see you next year. Uh, I mean, that was our hope. But who knows? Uh, Things do come up in in life. And, uh, you know, two days after we got home from from Florida, everything shut down. And of course, there was no uh, travel the next year. So Paul uh, says, in essence, yeah, I planned to come, but here's the reasons I didn't come. And he appeals to his conscience, uh, in this. And so that's the, the testimony. Now, in verse 12, where he says, For our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. Now, the ESV for that first line says, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience. And the NIV says, Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies. And so it's sort of two, two phrases or clauses that he's he's using. He says, here's, here's what we're saying, and here's how it affects our conscience, my conscience. And so he breaks it down into two. And so when he says this, he goes on, and we'll read from verse 13 down to the end of the, the chapter. For we are not writing any other things to you, than what you read or understood, understand, read or understand. Now I trust that you will understand even to the end, as also have understood in us in part, that we are your boast, as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. And in this confidence, I intended to come to you before, that you might have a second benefit, to pass by way of you to Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia to you and be helped by you on my way to Judea, Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly, or the things that I plan acor- uh, or the things I plan do I plan according to the flesh, that with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no? But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. For the word uh, for the Son of God Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by us by me, Sylvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was. Yes. In verse 20, for all the promises of God in him are yes. And in him, amen to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us as God, who has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Moreover, I call God as witness against my soul that to spare you, I came no more to Corinth. Not that we have dominion over your faith, but are fellow workers of your joy, for by faith you stand. And so you can see in there, he's explaining that, yeah, it was my plan. I was on my way to Macedonia. I was going to stop there on the way back. I was going to stop there again. We'd have fellowship. Uh, I could encourage you. You could help us on our way. Uh, He's going to Judea. And again, in chapter 8 and 9, that comes up. But he says, there's reasons why I couldn't fulfill that. I think we all understand that in life. Uh, we make plans. Uh, you know, you might make plans with your family, with your children. Uh, you're going to do something, and something else comes up. I mean, you look at the situation with Steve and Barb tonight. Uh, There's nothing they planned We're on their way, and something happens, and your plans uh, change. And we all know that in life. Those sorts of things uh, happen. But we also know that sometimes we... we uh, are not always as truthful as we should be. And, and sometimes we have excuses uh, for things because we didn't want to, to do them or didn't want to follow uh, through. But Paul here is explaining his, his reasoning for for not coming to the people in Corinth at the time when he said he would. But when we before we look again at the context, just thinking about our, our conscience and how it, how it works and what Scripture says, about it, as I mentioned, it talks about a seared conscience, a conscience that doesn't work anymore. And I think in our culture we see that all the time. I mean, people do things. Just today uh, in the news, uh, in a restaurant, in the, somewhere in the West, um, four four ladies, four women, had an argument over a hamburger, and uh, one punched the server, and the other one shot him in the head. I mean, they, these girls were 20 years old, and they. they well, how can you do that without having a, having a conscience? Uh, was it yesterday somebody was in their driveway and their car was hijacked and they were shot? Well, how can you, how can you do those things and not have a conscience about it? But uh, Paul speaks in First Timothy 4 too, he says this about some people speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And so it's been cauterized. It doesn't work anymore. So I think we, we see that in our, like I say, in our culture so often, where people do things and their conscience just doesn't seem to, uh, to bother them. Now, in Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul talks about the guilt of humanity. He talks about the fact that the invisible things of God are clearly seen, but so people are without excuse. And he talks about the Jewish people having a law, and they know that They've broken that law, and so their conscience bothers them. But then he talks about Gentiles who don't have a law but have some concept of right and wrong, uh, regardless of your, of your culture. There's some sense of what is allowed and what isn't allowed, and so when you cross that line, your conscience uh, bothers you. Did anybody ever see it? It's an old video, but it was a missionary in, in New Guinea had a video called The Pineapple Story. Anybody ever see that? You have to be... No, I don't necessarily you have to be old to... Remit, but i uh, <laughs> put me in that category. Um, <laughs> uh, what happened was this missionary had pineapples growing, and he lived in a culture where what belonged to you belonged to everybody. It didn't matter uh, if it's yours. He said they'd knock on the front door, and somebody would go take the clothes off the back line while he was answering the front door. Uh, he, he found you know, diaper pins in people's noses, and he had to uh, recover them. It was very comical. But the point of it was that eventually he came to the point where he just committed it to the Lord and said, Lord, I'm getting stressed with this. I mean, he tried all sorts of things to save his, his uh, pineapples, and he eventually lost contact with the people because he became so structured. He actually got a German shepherd. They were afraid of the dog. They wouldn't come near him. He lost his ministry. So he committed it to the Lord, handed over to the Lord, and then he told the people, those pineapples aren't mine anymore. I've given them away. They wouldn't touch them because they didn't know who they belonged to. <laughs> Their conscience wouldn't allow them to steal those pineapples unless they knew, well, if they're yours, I can take them, but I don't know whose they are. So they had a conscience, but the line was far different than than what our line is. If you've dealt with some other uh, you know, cultures, you recognize that uh, in some cultures, you know, uh, telling a lie is is fine. Uh, it's just one of those things. We see it on the national stage at times, where you know you can say this, but it doesn't really matter. And and people operate sort of a different level, a different standard, and their conscience uh, doesn't work uh, the same way. And so we we understand that uh, people have a conscience, but it doesn't all always uh, line up as a, as it should. I think in Romans 14, though the word conscience isn't uh, met uh, mentioned, Paul there is talking about a weak conscience, somebody that's bothered by everything. Uh, so Paul says, you got to be really careful what you do because if you you know eat pork or you have a drink of wine or you do this, that person may be offended and their conscience would be, be bothered. And so he talks about receiving the the weaker brother, those that have a conscience about everything. So we don't want to have a weak conscience. You don't want to have a seared or defiled conscience. Uh, you want to have a good con- conscience. Now, all of us, uh, you know, if you can remember when you were saved, you obviously came under some sense of conviction. People don't get saved unless they know they're lost. And so what? how does that work? Uh, you read the Word of God, you hear a message, and you start thinking about those things. But we understand that we are not the savior of souls. We understand that salvation is of the Lord. We present the gospel, we present the word, we give a track. But we understand that the Lord's got to do that inner, inner work. And that's the work of conviction. And what happens, and I think we can relate to this, is, is we get, had a sense of, yes, I'm a sinner, and I have offended a holy God. If you had no conscience, how would you come to that conclusion? But you get to the point where your conscience bothers you and you want to do something about it. And so that's the work of the the Holy Spirit, is to bring uh, conviction. Don mentioned in his prayer from John chapter 16, the, when the Holy Spirit would come, he would convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment uh, to come. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, convicting, touching the conscience. And so that's what we hope when we share the gospel, that somebody's conscience will be pricked and they'll have no rest. And I think we've, Heard testimonies of people who are just bothered to to the nth degree until they settle things and get right with God. Their conscience uh, bothers them. Uh, it's interesting, again, just uh, yesterday, that man who was arrested here in Florida for mur- two murders he committed 34 years ago. And he knew he was going to get caught because DNA, DNA evidence had come out. And he readily confessed, and he says, this has bothered me for 34 years. He said, I can't sleep at night thinking about... Uh, those two murders and what I did. He got away with it for that long, but he didn't get away with it because his, his conscience bothered him. But that's what the Holy Spirit does in terms of the gospel, convicts people of sin. Now, when you get saved, we we have the wonderful thing happen to our consciences. We have a clear or clean conscience at that moment. Our sins are forgiven. And uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. You know, in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 2, the writer talks about the priests of the Old Testament having to do it year after year, having to do it time and time again, and talks about their conscience. It's a constant reminder to them of the fact that their sin was not taken away. But he goes on, I think, in verse 18 of that chapter to say, uh, on God's part, there is no more remembrance of sin. And so when we get saved, we can... Stand with a clean conscience, a clear conscience before God, knowing our past has been dealt with. That's why the assurance of salvation is so important, to know that, yes, I'm, I'm truly saved, my sins are gone, and our conscience can be, can be clear before God. And it's on that basis that uh, the writer again says, we approach, as we did tonight, uh, confidently with a clear conscience, sprinkled with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We approach the throne of grace and so uh, our conscience is is a wonderful thing but what do I think about from this passage and a few other verses in second Corinthians is is uh, as a believer uh, how do I how do I maintain a good conscience what is it that leads to a a good conscience an active a working conscience now uh, again a An illustration I I think of in terms of our conscience is like the the line in the middle of a highway. You know, you have that yellow line. That tells you where you should be, but doesn't force you to stay there. You could drive as long as you want on the other side. Something's going to happen. But there's nothing, there's no power in that line to say, go back there. Uh, It says this is where you should be. But if you go here, uh, there are consequences. You may get away with it for quite a while, but ultimately something's, going to happen. So, so we want to say, well, how do, we, how do we stay here? How do we align? Your conscience has no executive ability. It's your will that does that. But your conscience has the ability to convict. And so we want a, a sound conscience, a working conscience, an active conscience. And I think Paul talks in here about things that, that would uh, sort of encourage an active and a good conscience, things that should be true of us. And so, uh, in verse, going back to verse 12 again, he talks about uh, simplicity and godly sincerity. Uh, the word simplicity, uh, in some translations, is integrity. Others have it as holiness. And so, he's worried or concerned about his testimony. And so, I think that's one of the keys to it good conscience, an act of conscience, is. I'm I'm concerned not so much about how I feel, but how I am portraying myself. Do I have a testimony before men? Can I say that I'm behaving in holiness, uh, as he says here, in simplicity and godly sincerity, or holiness and sincerity, integrity? Is that true of, of me? How do I want to present myself? How do I want to Come, come across. Uh, it's not uh, the matter of the flesh working, but by the grace of God, dependence on God. So he says, my testimony is so important. I want my conscience to be active and to be working in that, in that regard. And so I think that's an important key uh, for us, uh, for a good, uh, a good testimony. The wisdom of the world, of course, you know, James talks about this world's wisdom that's uh, fleshly, it's uh, it's worldly, fleshly, and demonic. And it brings all sorts of confusion. But then he talks about God's wisdom, it's peaceable and pure. And so uh, in the wisdom of God, I want to live in such a way that my testimony before men is honorable. I'm without reproach. Uh, you know, a number of times in scripture it talks about being above reproach or without reproach. And the idea is that no charge could be brought against you. And so we should want to live that way. And our conscience should be active to that degree that, okay, uh, I've thought this, I've done this, uh, I've said this, uh, but I need to clear that up. I want my conscience to work uh, for the sake of my testimony. We're all going to make mistakes, but what do we do about it? Uh, When our conscience bothers us, has no executive ability, but is our testimony so important that we want to make it right? We want to get uh, things things right. It's also, I think, tied to our our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this in turn, or in part, is our witness, but in verse 19, he talks about the preaching of Christ. Jesus Christ was preached among you, and this is what we said about him. We are representing him. We are presenting Christ to you. And so if I'm presenting the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm an ambassador for Christ, I'm witnessing on his behalf, I want to have a conscience that lines up with that. Uh, When I'm talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, he's talking about the absoluteness and the truthfulness. It wasn't yes and no. He said it was yes and amen. Uh, What we said about Christ is, is absolute and is true. And so we want to have a conscience that represents well, again, the Lord Jesus Christ as our neighbors look at us and, and see Christ uh, in us. We want to uh, portray that uh, for sure as well. And then also the fact that the Father has a, a purpose uh, for us, uh, verse 18, for instance, "God is faithful and our word to you." And so he talks about uh, the Father. And then in verse three or verse uh, 20, rather, he talks about the glory of God. And so again, we mentioned that last week as part of God's purpose for us, the, that his glory. And so do we want to live for the glory of God? Uh, most of you know Jabe Nicholson. How many knew his father, Boyd? A few of you. Boyd wrote these words. It's a, it's a poem he wrote. He said, what do I really desire in this life? Is it something for me and little for thee? What do I grandly aspire in the strife? Is it thee, blessed God, is it thee? What drives me to serve day by day? Is it something for me or glory for thee? What motive enlightens each nerve in the fray? Is it thee, my God? Is it thee? And so if we are really concerned about the glory of God, I want a conscience that lines up with his word that is controlled by him so I can live uh, to the glory of God. And then we have the, the presence of the spirit within us in verse 22. guarantee. Now Paul says in Ephesians, uh, the danger of grieving or quenching the Holy Spirit. Uh, We quench the Spirit when we don't do those things the Spirit leads us to do, and we grieve the Spirit when we do those things the Spirit would not have us uh, to do. And so again, I want a conscience that lines up. Uh, Romans 8 talks about being led by the Spirit. And so if I'm sensitive to the Spirit's leading my conscience is going to be alert to his work in my life. Now, if we had a testimony time and uh, we were too honest, uh, we would probably all be able to tell of situations in our life where we know that we did something wrong and we know our conscience bothered us and we just ignored it and we put it out of the way. And so Paul says, no, I didn't do this lightly. He says. In, in a good conscience, and then he says, "Here's things that can mark or make our our conscience worthwhile: working properly, a testimony, representing Christ to the glory of God, and the Spirit at, at work in us uh, will cause us to have a conscience that's that's working uh, properly." And uh, in a practical way, in our tradition the fact that we gather weekly to remember the Lord Jesus Christ, I think there's a benefit there in that let a man or a woman examine themselves, right? Uh, Never says in Scripture we have to do it weekly. Never says that the churches that do it monthly are wrong or, or, you know, four times a year are wrong. But uh, there is a value, I think, in the fact that we come together weekly and we are to examine ourselves it's not up to me to examine you. We're to examine ourselves. Well, what does that mean? Is my conscience clear? Is there anything in my life that I need to get right between me and the Lord before I partake <coughs> of these emblems? And it never says that if there's something there, stay away. It says examine yourself, make it right, do something about it, and then let them let him eat. And so uh, there's a practical value there that should touch our conscience Uh, as well. Now just uh, two other sort of passages or verses. One in chapter 6. Paul again is is talking about his testimony in verse 3. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God. And then he lists all these things that he might go through. But he says... The motivating factor is we're representing the Lord. It doesn't matter if it's in uh, patience, tribulation, needs, distresses, uh, whatever it is. He says, I want to represent uh, the Lord who saved me. He says, I want to be a good witness, a good testimony uh, to him. And so and regardless of our circumstances, if our conscience is working well, we'll be under conviction uh, for those things that really matter. Then in chapter 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and he talks about what goes on in the the mind. And he's talking about the warfare, not just uh, sort of in the sense of Ephesians 6, which is true, but in what's going on in our mind. And so in verse 4, he says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God." for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So, again, the idea of of what is going on in my mind, and that's where my conscience is working, uh, that sense of conviction. And I'm sure we've all had times when we've had trouble sleeping, because something's going on in our in our mind, not just concerns, but conviction. Where we know, you know, I said that, I did that, I shouldn't have said that. I sh- I've got to make this this right. And we we always have an option. I'm going to say the conscience has no executive ability. It's up to our will to make things right, to do what's right. And so Paul talks about this battle that goes on in our mind, uh, different realms, different areas. But this is part of it. Is what am I going to do about it? The other thing I think that goes on in our mind is, is uh, you know, we, we all want to look respectful, and we want to present well. But we all know that the real battle is what we think, right? What goes on in our mind, what we think about others. We'd never say it. Uh, what we uh, focus on, we might never publish it. But there is that battle in our mind, and we want to keep our minds and clean. And again, when things are coming in, there is a, mo- a moment, I think, of time when the Spirit convicts us. And we can, we can listen and respond as an act of our will, or we can say, no, I'm not going to, to listen and shut our conscience down and continue a path of, of disobedience. And so conscience is, is so vital in the Christian life. If we're going to Live for him. We want to have a conscience that lines up with the word of God. Uh, Paul, you know, in Romans 9, uh, verse, verse 2, talked about his care for, the, for his nation. And he goes on to say, I, I would be willing to you know, give up my salvation for them to be saved. And he says, in testimony of my conscience. He says, this is, this is true. I'm not making it up. I'm telling the truth, my love and concern uh, for them. In Acts 23, I think it is in his defense, he talks about in good conscience he's, he's done this. He could say that. So I trust all of us can say we, we're living with a good conscience, that our conscience is active, it's what it should be, and we're responding to the word of God and the work of God and the convicting power of the Holy Spirit as we are led by the Spirit. So that's what the Lord would have for us, that our conscience is, is working. And so Paul Paul could say, you yeah, I wanted to come, but for these reasons I didn't come. And his reasons were, you're not ready for my visit, right? It's not just that I couldn't come, but I didn't come because you're not ready yet for me uh, to come. And he could say, I could say that in good conscience. And so, vitally important in our, in our life. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, We thank you for the fact that we are so fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, You've given us uh, mental capabilities, you've given us emotional uh, abilities and responses, you've given us a will, a volitional aspect of life, but you've also given us a conscience. And it's uh, through that conscience that we ever came to be aware of our sinfulness and our separation from God, and through the convicting work of the Spirit, we responded and uh, enjoyed the cleansing of that conscience through our salvation. But Father, day by day in our Christian life, we pray that our conscience would be active, alert, and working as it should, aligned with the Word of God, uh, so that we are in step with you. We have a good testimony. We represent the Lord Jesus Christ. We bring glory to your name, and we respond to the Holy Spirit at work in us. So bless your Word. We again commit to you those items that were on the prayer list. We Thank you that we can come into your presence with a clear or clean conscience, that's been sprinkled with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we can present before you uh, the needs of others. And so we would do that this evening. Watch over us as we separate. May we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.